0: How good are numbers? They can blow minds, they can help us see the invisible, and they can even help us count. But in the wrong hands, they can also numb. On Thursday, April 20, Sweathead is hosting our first ever online conference about numbers, number adjacent things, and number identifying people. It's called WTF, the Effing Effectiveness Festival. Over three hours, nine number experts will try to blow your mind one at a time. Do you have a mind? Well, prepare to get it blown by. Associate Marketing Professor Colin Campbell in his plea to get you to do A B testing. Google's Esty Gorman and her demand that we F the funnel. Sage's James Hankins in his sharing about the importance of share of search. Ogilvie's Ella Jenkins poking at our subconscious and how it's our boss. Magic numbers as Dr. Grace Kite's warning about the dangers of digital attribution. DCDX's Andrew Ross gravity-defying tale about the black hole consuming Gen Z. Walk Headbrain David Tiltman's work about how often creative award winnings are also effing effective. Author and System One's Orlando Wood's sour take about how the advertising brain has turned to lemons. And Jellyfish's Tom Roach will drop some squishy effectiveness pearls of wisdom all over the place. WTF? The effing effectiveness fest. It's marketing that will blow your mind from Sweathead, the strategy people inside your head. Online, Thursday, April 20, 2023, from 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. ET. That's New York time, baby. Find out more at sweathead.com. Group discounts are available. What's up and welcome to Sweathead with Mark Pollard. Today I have the account creator of the increasingly famous, at least an Instagram account, also a TikTok account, agency probs with me today. We're going to talk about what it's like to be a creator, but also some of the problems that this account hilariously focuses on with an aggressive oversized finger in the eye of the advertising industry. Person, creator, you're doing this anonymously. I'm going to say welcome to Sweathead. And then I'm going to give you a few zingers because you're a comedy account. I get licensed to be full Australian today. So I'm going to have some fun too, but welcome.
1: Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Great to be on here today. First podcast interview? First podcast interview. Hopefully it goes well. You know how I know that? How do you? Uh, A
0: few emails about whether it's happening, even though it's in your calendar. That's usually the flag for me, that someone's nervous that they haven't done it before. And typically what will also happen if you continue to be nervous, which I doubt you will be, is multiple emails and DMs after we've recorded about when it's going live and was it good enough and all that kind of stuff. But also what I find funny before going into the creator part of your story is we were set to do this between 11 and 12 and someone put a calendar invitation at work for you at 11.45. And I want to ask you straight off the bat, what kind of person would do that?
1: Definitely not someone that was uh, cognizant of the fact that uh, I run this account or that we have this podcast, but hopefully it's a, uh, a quick meeting because it is Friday. So hoping to have a fun weekend ahead of me.
0: So instead of an NPC, it's an LCP, low cognizant person?
1: Yeah, I think so. I haven't worked with this person much. So it's a first time meeting and a Friday that probably speaks for itself.
0: Did you feel like an NPC in the agency world? And is that what led you to the meme account?
1: What do you mean by NPC?
0: Oh, I was trying to get my youth on, non-playing character. you not heard this before? No, I've not. This is what the kids say. You're an NPC, which basically means you're one of those characters in like a, a Roblox or a Fortnite that's just wandering around, that doesn't fight, and you're just like a, a bot.
1: To be honest, it feels like that because we try to enter in a lot of conversations that are happening in the ad industry and In marketing industry so i feel like anytime we can kind of interject ourselves and enter the conversations so i feel like that's a pretty good description
0: but also i feel like your goal it's not a strategy your goal is to stay as much of an npc as possible while also becoming as famous as possible and at some point that's gonna break my question to you when do you think it's gonna break
1: only time will tell the account's definitely grown. i mean we it really started it to really create humor and highlight a lot of things in the ad industry and just in marketing in general that are pretty hilarious. So I feel like the more that it grows, then the more people are laughing. And that's the end goal for us, which is sick.
0: Not everyone can be Banksy, right? Just anonymous forever. That's correct. Funny thing about that. He sent me a book before he was super famous, like this tiny little book. And I, I threw it out. I recycled it before I moved countries. And then it became really, really famous. So for me, this interview with you is like that book was from Banksy to me.
1: Well, if I end up selling a painting at Sotheby's for 1.3 million that uh, however much it costs that gets shredded, then it'll be a success for sure. That sounds pretty nuts.
0: All right. Let's talk about the creator lifestyle. When did you set up Agency Probs? And it was first on Instagram, not TikTok, right?
1: Yeah. So it was on Instagram first. It was in the summer of 2018. So coming up on five years now, it seems like yesterday was an impromptu start of kind of how it really became about. But I was looking, I've always loved humor and, and memes. I actually worked on the brand side and there was another person that started the account with that worked on the agency side and we were looking at all these finance meme accounts that had grown to hundreds of thousands of people and thought, oh man, this is great. There has to be some medium or similarity into the marketing slash ad industry world, and there wasn't at the time. And so the account started the first post I think had about thirty one likes on it about you know your client making a bad joke, but you're on site in person with them. So you have to laugh. You know, the first few years Uh, It was slow to go. But the the start of it was really like, hey, can we create something that emulates the challenges and the humor that goes along with working in the marketing industry?
0: I love it. How many fights have you had with that partner? And is it only one other person that's currently involved with the account? Or is there a whole pod?
1: There's uh, myself, I guess, primary person. And the other person that I work with has a different type of agency experience. So for things like you know media trends and those areas that I'm not as experienced with, being from the creative side, they also help contribute to it, for sure.
0: All right. So you're the PP, the primary person and the other person's kind of the NPC, all right? Exactly. Oh, you just dissed your partner. You might fall out of this relationship because of that. They might not like being an NPC.
1: Uh, she's great. So we've got a good thing going, which is fun. All
0: right. I know I'm stretching the Australian-ness of this interaction already. Obviously, you set up on Instagram at that time in 2018 because TikTok was barely a thing. I can't remember what time or what year TikTok started, but it didn't get big, I I don't think, until 2020. What's been your experience on Instagram compared to TikTok?
1: You know, TikTok, when it really started to just create rapid adoption after 2020, a lot of the features and the way that the kind of audience, it seemed like, were interested in those people. So versus, you know, meme accounts that may feature uh, famous people or comedic references it's more difficult to apply that so we've definitely found it a little bit more challenging to grow on TikTok but I mean, we did have one recently on Thanksgiving about working during Thanksgiving that had about 1.3 million views on TikTok but that format around kind of that caption with a corresponding video is a little bit more difficult to kind of grow organically on TikTok but you know we're we're trying our best to do what we can to kind of apply a new format to TikTok versus Instagram
0: Why do you think it's harder? Can you explain that to me?
1: I feel like for at least the initial people that became kind of TikTok famous, quote unquote, it created a, from our perception at least, a way that consumers are used to digesting content on TikTok, which is seeing a real person in front of you you know, doing a dance or something that is, I would say, less or more tangible than a meme that is relatable but is also featuring someone that they don't know versus there's that relationship build on TikTok that seems a little bit more person-to-person than Instagram.
0: I don't even mean this in a creepy way because it's not my vibe, not in public. But TikTok, it was basically about moving cleavage. It wasn't about dancing. So much of what that algorithm and their little heat technique thing in the early days seemed to focus on was young, attractive people, often with cleavage, who were moving. Like that seemed to be the formula.
1: We stayed pretty far away from TikTok, to be honest, for a while because didn't really see how we'd be able to integrate well into it without coming across as like unauthentic or just posting on our Instagram and say hey go follow our TikTok and it's not anything to write home about and so like that's definitely something that we try to figure out but yeah TikTok it seems like every which way you look at it there's a new trend that's coming up on the scene or like why people are on there which is kind of crazy so obviously the TikTok challenges that viral has also like created a, a wild platform that's experimental but also kind of hard to predict
0: now you're almost at a thousand posts in five years how structured are you like do you have a like a particular workflow do you agree to the posts do you debate 10 of them post one do you agree to post one two, four things a day a week how structured is your agency prob's instagram life
1: so i'd say the first like two years it was just spontaneous when You know, something happened at work, we're speaking with a client or something that was difficult and just created that moment that it was in real time to say, okay, like, let's post about this. This kind of resonates and just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what people relate to. What we started to realize was that, you know, creating a cadence on just certain things like seasonality, like planning during the holidays, like that's going to affect every agency, no matter the type of agency or industry that you work in. Like, there are some planning that goes into it, but then there's that viral type of two things one are real time moments that happen in real life that you just kind of become viral that adding a kind of agency layer to that one example i could think of is you know like spotify wrapped we did that post where I think it had like over 12,000 likes, but it was great because it was around kind of your year in review, but for marketing and agencies. And so even uh, Spotify ads, uh, that URL or profile commented on that post. So it's kind of like a combination of planning, but you also have to be responsive in real time too.
0: I mean, it's in a kind of sincere psychological way, but surprise, surprise for people who've listened to this podcast before, but like what needs does agency props fulfill for you personally?
1: to be honest, it's like, how do we give people a break in the day after they've had a really crappy meeting or just a really shitty experience? And our view is like, if we can bring more humor and laughter into the agency world and bring together people that work on would be quote, unquote, like client side versus agency side, that it's going to spark conversations of like, hey, this doesn't have to be this hard. Like, does it actually have to be this long drag of 10 rounds of creative? Or is there a way that we can meet in the middle. And so I'm starting to notice more people on like the client side, acknowledging like, oh, this is me, or oh, I've done this before. And hopefully that feel like underlying those insights can help provide like an avenue for people to talk about it in like a funny way. That if an agency employee shared this, I mean, with a client that's like on round 10, it's like, hey, we're getting close to this. What do you think? Can we lock this project up? Et cetera. So that's our goal is really just to bring people laughter and maybe start a conversation.
0: Okay. But what needs does all of that feel for you personally?
1: Honestly, it just stems from like giving. Like I just find that humor sometimes is the best medicine. And like for me personally, it's fun to, if I see, you know, posts go into a Slack channel and it's like, oh, hey, we made that and we're still anonymous. So like that makes it kind of fun to see those posts that go semi-viral with your friends or friends, coworkers. It's, it's really cool.
0: I almost buy that, but the problem for you is I've done research into altruism. So altruism is never just about the giving, right? There's you know what they call the warm glow effect, which is that dopamine hit that you get when you drop a bucket of the Salvation Army or when you post something online. But also I know that creativity and uh, ego, confidence, and eh, narcissism correlate a little bit. So sure, you could say that comedy is a little bit of a coping mechanism for you and how you see the world. It puts you at distance from it so you, you don't feel dragged down by the heaviness of it, but also like that sense of authorship that you get. You're doing this to fill a part of your life that wasn't being filled before, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. Having worked myself on massive brands that have been around forever, there's a limitation as far as your creative freedom. And that's something that if you would ask any marketer, and for me specifically, it was that anytime something wanted to be posted or approved on social media, it had to go up the channel through management and this is a freedom of let me this seems like it works i love this idea and i don't need to go through creative rounds of approval it's just throw it at the wall and see what sticks and that to me is the biggest way to also test things and see what works based on that so i'd say that definitely helps for sure like intrinsically for me
0: yeah so there's the freedom self-exploration the altruism the kick that you get from helping somebody else and then there's probably a little undercurrent of revenge anyone put my hand up anytime you poke the industry in the eye or anything in the eye metaphorically speaking there's an element of revenge that will make you feel a little bit good in the moment but hopefully what you're really trying to do is do something constructive but it's probably a cluster of those things right
1: Yeah. I mean, the reality is for agency, I feel like the average person that's not in the industry, like any ad you see on streaming TV, on social media, there are billions of eyeballs that are changed because of the people that work in advertising and they're not really given a spotlight. The ads come out and yes, there's that viral, you know, oh, this ad was so great, but they won't really talk about how this industry is really affecting the so many facets of people's lives, whether it's through ads that they're serving people, I'd say between all the billions of dollars that are being spent in advertising, it's really changing how people shop and really affecting people's lives. And I just don't feel like the people behind the scenes get the credit that they deserve. So that's definitely the kind of like origin story, so to speak, of intrinsically as well as of, of highlighting how cool some of the work is that these people do.
0: And the reason that I wanted to just hang on this, possibly for a slightly awkward amount of time, is because I sense that I'm a little bit older than you. And for a lot of people in the industry, they want to be more creative. They want their ideas to be more frontline, but they've got to go through, if they're a strategist, a creative team and a client or The creative team's got to go through the bureaucracy of the client as well. And there can be this frustration. then maybe you get married. Maybe you have a mortgage. Maybe you have kids, pets, whatever you're into. And all of a sudden, 10 years pass. And you're like, hang on, I used to express. So for people who are starting out, who are doing something creative, I think it's really important to be clear about why you're doing it and to hold on to that mission. Because the world will try to take it away from you. That's why I wanted to linger on that a little bit to make a point through you. I hope that's okay. You're at, let's call it 110,000 followers on Instagram. What's your goal with it?
1: The goal is to eventually create a way that through the means of maybe a website or a way to connect people to have more honest and authentic conversations about the ad industry and brand and kind of this client and agency side. And so not to say, I think that there are really great existing publications for in advertising and marketing and ways that consumers can get information about it. But I think in more of like that, just the way people talk and how they talk about things, not in a very formal setting, but in a casual setting, if you're with your coworkers having beers at a bar after work, how they would talk about the ad industry and how they would improve it. That to me, if we can create almost like a collection, a way to create a forum for people to do that, that would be our end goal uh, five to 10 years from now.
0: Do you feel that the industry is dishonest or that it's hard to have honest conversations with people you work with in the workplace, whether that's virtual or physical?
1: I wouldn't say that the industry is dishonest. I just think that a lot of publications on that cover marketing and not specific to any like publication, but in general, a lot of the way that ads are just, it's talked about is in a very formal style and vernacular. And what's missing is kind of that grittiness behind okay this ad was great but what actually went into it like was it a pain in the ass to shoot like one of uh, a good example is i think a lot of commercials what consumers see can be very perceptive of like oh this is viral but for example like the most interesting man or like the old spice guy those commercials the complexity behind those takes and all of those things that i feel like doesn't really see the light of day as much could be really fun for the average person not just someone that works in advertising
0: i don't know if you know this concept There's this concept called the Overton window, which is basically this concept that in media, but also in life with certain people, there are certain topics that you're allowed to talk about and certain opinions that you're allowed to have about those topics. So even if you look at the big, especially political news oriented organizations, certain topics you can talk about. You can talk about freedom, but you can only talk about it in this way. And they'll get people who seem to be opposites to argue, but they're actually arguing about a very small spectrum of freedom. And it sounds like what you're trying to do, hang with me on this <laughs> stretched out analogy, is like you're, you're trying to stick your head out of the Overton window and go, hey, there's, all, there's this whole other patch of stuff that we should be talking about that we might be healthier for if we do talk about it.
1: Exactly. So, like, if we can create an example of when a client just said, Hey, I'm going to give you the free reign agency partner and go with something as an example and tell that story, if it's a success story, that's going to be helpful to agencies and clients that are struggling with that relationship. Cause it's almost like agencies are really the driving force between for a lot of growth for a lot of brands and because of all the paid is really reliant on that. It's through a single external force. It's not even the company itself. So those stories, yes, can definitely create those conversations that we're hoping to, to kind of help structure, uh, not structure, but help kind of prompt.
0: Uh, smart person. Hey. Pull your mind out of those timesheets for a second and take a look at the Sweathead website. We have three membership levels, starter mode, flight mode, and beast mode. They give you access to a variety of strategy masterclasses, conferences, accelerators, and online learning, some of which has been known to make people cry because they like it, they like it, they feel seen. Make the most of your mind this year or any year and visit www.sweathead.com today. Now back to the interview. Do, 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 do. I want to talk about some of your posts. One of the most recent ones that's had over half a million views on Instagram has the words, when you have to make small talk with a client before everyone else joins the meeting. Well, I don't even know what this footage is from, but it's a chef cutting up something, putting it on someone's plate. Is this a famous scene, by the way?
1: It's an instructional video from, I believe, like a uh, cruise line. It's almost like a, a how-to for that. We found that online.
0: Right. Just explain the situation. I know it's terrible to explain a judge. Just explain it to us because I have a follow-up question.
1: So the video that you're referencing is a gentleman that is cutting a piece of meat and he's making small talk with another person and asking, you know, hey, did you catch the game last night? And asking kind of these questions that so often when you join a call and I feel like every person now that has, for a lot of people that work remotely have been on it where they join a call and it's just two people and it's awkward because you don't really know them. Or you're also joining a call with someone extremely senior and you're a junior person or someone you're not comfortable with. And so it emulates that experience of you're on a call and you kind of have to make small talk and it's like, happy Friday. Hey, how was your weekend? Oh, great to hear from you. Very basic, mundane things that everyone experiences, yet no one really talks about as much outside of their close friend groups.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I was talking about this with an Australian yesterday because I moved to New York twelve years ago. In the first two years, none of my banter worked in meetings. I'm not super chatty, but I'll make a joke or two, and then I'll be silent for a while, and then I'll, I don't know, verbal diarrhea maybe these days at least. But I used to be very, I used to be very quiet. and I, I was told when I moved to be louder because in America you have to be seen to be talking a lot. Am I right? Am I right? But I really struggled with like the banter. It just didn't work. And the funny thing is, U.S. is so big in New York. There's so much going on. London, Sydney, Melbourne. Hong Kong, you kind of know what's going on in the city. So if there's a big sports game or sports match on, people will talk about that. Sorry if you hate sports. I don't even know what to talk about. Uh, And the flip side of that is as I've gotten older and start to be around even more senior people. I remember being on a call recently with a board from Canada. I don't know hockey, what I call ice hockey. And everyone's talking about Wayne Gretzky and the big game. And I was like, I don't know how to talk about this. So I relate. Now with something like this, do you have like a a vibe meter before you post it thinking, oh, this is going to do well. And then it either does or it doesn't. Tell us about your emotional state and your expectations of a post like this before you post it.
1: To be honest, I feel like so many times what happens is the posts that you put a lot of effort into don't do as well as the ones that are so simple yet so perfect. So as far as like the question about thought process, a lot of it is around sometimes I'll text it to some of my friends and say, Hey, you know, this is a meme I'm thinking about. Do you think this is funny? To kind of get like a small group chat sample size of the head nod. And in that particular one, I actually sent that to one of my friends who was not in advertising. He worked in finance. And he's like, Oh, I literally just got off a call with someone that we had about two minutes of awkward talk before everyone else joined. And so at that point, I said, okay, this probably will resonate. And yeah, I think it had, you know, 500,000 views. But conversely, we've also done ones that, you know, we spent maybe an hour designing, whether it's like putting certain graphics in Photoshop or whatnot, and those, you know, flopped. So it's kind of like a uh, a roulette wheel. Uh, That's the analogy I think of, make rather, of what posting's like on a meme account. You test or workshop most of the posts beforehand. Is that right? Definitely. We don't have like a, a burner account or something that we post things on just to see, but. Primarily, yeah, with like a friend group that has a really great sense of humor, that we usually just will volley things back and forth, and like I feel like also when it's interesting culturally, is memes also get DM'd and message back and forth all the time, not just obviously my account. So I feel like there's also barometer there to see you know what else is resonating as well.
0: I love that because one of the biggest challenges facing the industry is the concept of pre-testing concepts, and it drives a lot of insaneness, and, and I'm like do what comedians do because comedians they try out a set for a while and they record it and they listen to the laughs and often they count the laughs per minute and some of them have a goal of a certain number of laughs per minute this is real and then they gradually graduate their show to bigger stages it's hard to do that but I love hearing that that's part of your like creative process that's super cool how much of what you do would you say is you see a meme that exists and then you're like oh I could use part of that based on this pain point or a frustration that I'm familiar with versus frustration first and then find footage.
1: So I'd say for things that are more planned, not based on a happening or newsworthy event that's in real time, those are more kind of planned out. So things like the client asking for make the logo bigger, that's kind of one thing that every marketer goes through client and agency side. But for things like, Oh, this template works, I feel like any meme marketer and you kind of see this when that kind of memes go viral, of templates like, you know, when Tiger King came out or like White Lotus is another great show that just a lot of those kind of moments that everyone's watching or Squid Game of um, kind of those viral moments that, hey, yes, like this is a template that we can apply to those things. So, you know, we just try and find what people are also like talking about. I think that stems from your original questions of what your intrinsic benefit is. And like, for us, it was always, hey, there is you know all these other industries like consulting and finance that are getting these meme templates. Why aren't people in marketing getting that same information through a meme that they can celebrate with or comment on and joke around with their friends? And so like that was our way of saying, okay, this is happening in other industries. like Let's make that for marketing too.
0: It's really cool. I think you've probably stumbled on this organically, but the creative process you go through, I think it's beautiful. It's pure. I love it. What do you think right now are the three most hilarious yet frustrating things about working in advertising?
1: I'd say the first most frustrating is that you're working almost at a organization that does not control a lot of the product. So for example, you're almost on the receiving end of, Hey, this is the new product that we're launching, or this is, the new thing that we need to work around. And so you're almost always being reactive to things versus it's very rare that an agency can come to the table with like, Hey, this is a product idea that we have, or this is kind of the ownership idea. So I'd say that's the first one. Second piece I'd say is it's a really rapidly changing industry. So things like privacy law changes or the way that advertising is bought, those changes happen really quickly. And the Challenge is that for an agency, they're always the one that are responsible for, okay, this change happened. Now we have to go and respond. And so there's this ongoing hamster wheel of it's always going to change. And you'll get questions about NFTs or the metaverse, all these crazy things that happen, they have to always be on top of. I'd say the third most hilarious thing is you almost like develop these relationships with clients that, you know, initially may be tough or, you know, you don't really know them, but you actually get to know them on a personal level. And I think it's kind of hilarious. That it's almost like working with uh, you know a parent where you know they're usually always right, but there's that level of after a while, you kind of learn their idiosyncrasies and ways of working. So I'd say it's kind of like, I don't know what other industry you kind of work and develop close relationships with people that are outside of your company like you do in advertising.
0: I think I said, what are the three funniest frustrations, didn't I? And I, we didn't laugh. I think that's my question. But my next question was going to be, let's say an agency CEO sat you down and they were like, look, what do you think are the three things we most need to fix? And like channel the responses, like the things that have gone viral for you. Like let's say it's a sincere thing because you've said that part of what you do is altruistic. There's a sense of gentle activism trying to make the industry or working practices better for people. What do you think are the three things that agency CEOs should urgently think about fixing so that their people feel more supported and like they're working in a healthier company slash industry?
1: Yeah, I'd say the first is when you can be selective about who you want as a client. So like, do you want to work with someone? Yeah, obviously, you have to pay the bills. But if there are clients that create negative work experiences and tension in your team, I feel like agencies are so reliant because of changes like an RFP process where now a client wants to change agencies or opening up for review. Those are really hard. And so I think being able to say no is one of the things that agency, you know, CEOs could look at. I'd say the other piece is just listening. It feels like there's a lot of agencies that it's like lunch and learns where it's like, yeah, okay, we're getting, you know, free pizza for lunch, but it's like, no, we want, you know, a pay raise or we want actual improvements into the ways that we work. And that I feel like is something that maybe doesn't get acknowledged as much in advertising because there's this culture of where the agency will figure it out, you know, grind through it. Third one. I'd say that figuring out a way to make sure that like your best creative people don't get deflated. I've seen it happen personally with, you know, clients that are very focused on just what they want to do and what their ideas are. And the best creative people leave because they can't actually use what they're hired to do. And so I'd say those are kind of the three things. I'd
0: All right. So be selective about your clients, listen to your people, ask them questions versus just lecture them, speak at them, and then make sure your best creative people don't Get deflated what do you think leads to that deflation there's probably three to five things we could talk about but i'd love to get your take on that
1: yeah i mean take any project separate from creative agency if you have to do 10 rounds of something so if you ask someone that works in construction and they have to adhere and replace the same beam on a house 10 times by that ninth or 10th time they're not going to care they're going to say i just want to get this done with and move on and that is what we see frequently across agencies of, okay, once you get past, you know, three or four rounds, it's almost like, why are you hiring us? Is it really that you're trying to just create something you want to see? That to me is, I'd say the biggest challenge for sure. is like just the amount of rework.
0: I would say that that's poor account management, to be honest. Yep. I love account managers. You can't have an agency without excellent account managers, but 10 rounds of a revision either means your team sucks and they're incapable which is largely not true. There is a lot of mediocrity, but it's largely not true that people suck it's usually poor account management and setting context managing things in the moment versus just saying yes bringing you back to the office and delegating the problem back to the office i don't know if you listened to the podcast but i do often compare australia and the us my experience in australia is if we're working on something big and it wasn't quite clicking the ceo cso cco they're having breakfast with the client and like you need to buy this idea in the us very individualistic i never saw that I probably worked with 1,500 to 2,000 people in five, six years in the U.S. I never saw that type of leadership. It was always very much if you messed up, the leaders were like, oh, you messed up. And that happens everywhere. It happens in Australia, but I've never seen that sort of muscular, you need to buy this idea. It's excellent. Too many rounds of review or too many rounds of revisions. I think that's poor account management and poor agency leadership. But give me another one. What else deflates creative minds in agencies?
1: I think when you also work on brands that aren't willing to take calculated risks, I think in marketing, it's a product also of how consumers have just changed how they digest content. It's not just here's a billboard with product attributes. That doesn't sell for people, or it's not going to create an incremental lift if, you know, a brief says, Hey, we want to grow sales by five to ten percent. You know, that's gonna require something that you haven't done before. And so for those ways that you're able to do that, whether it's through like influencer partnerships, which we do also just through ways that you're able to reach people in like a different way than just hey, here are the product benefits. Like there's so many ways with marketing now that you can reach consumers that it's great. So I'd say that's another avenue of like being open to test things that you know might not work, but then you know that moving forward, okay, it's off the table.
0: The challenge with that is sometimes the client and sometimes the agency leadership they get caught up in a big lie, which is we're going to do great work. One, two, they then try to cast the creative and strategic talent to the account in a way where they maintain that lie. People come in, oh, we're going to do great work, and there's never any intention to do it. And I think, and then then to your point around honesty, the third part of that is they don't want to have an honest conversation because they're lying about the creative ambitions of a client. For me, the biggest red flag is if you're working with someone or even if you're pitching to them and you're like, tell me about two or three of your favorite campaigns that you might aspire to. And if they're blank, then they're not very interested in creativity. They're kind of acting. Final thing on that is I'm not talking to you, I'm sort of talking through you. But for those of you out there, Google the Boston Matrix. It's a Boston consulting group framework that's super famous. And I think it's useful for agencies to apply it to their clients because there are quadrants, four boxes. One of them is Cash Cow. Cash Cow, for example, is a brand that is in a market that's not growing, but it has decent share. What do you do to a Cash Cow? You milk it. But what does that mean? You put marketers and agency people on it who are not going to try to rock the boat too much just turn up, do your basic stuff, just milk the money. So have a look at that because I think an honest conversation about the Boston matrix applied to agency clients could lead to a little bit more sanity. One more thing that deflates creative minds.
1: I'd say burnout culture. And I don't want to phrase this like, okay, it's on account managers, like the first part, because there's also an element that an account manager is dealing with like external via the client and internal pressures. But I'd say anytime that it's more of hey let's arbitrarily work towards this date versus okay let's get this right and that sometimes gets lost especially during like seasonal businesses whether it's for like a summer 4th of July or like a you know holiday promotion those are obviously very tough but in ways which you can say hey we have another 2 weeks we can make this creative that much better and then that for the millions of people that you're reaching through then the media team, it just makes things run easier. So I'd say that not working towards just a date, but also working on like focus on getting the content right.
0: Yeah, it's those two things together because there's arbitrary dates. Most dates are arbitrary, right? Then there are fake dates that sometimes the client and the account team set because someone's going away for two weeks or because they don't trust the creative team and the strategist to do the stuff on time. So they like move things a little bit forward. And it just leads to a decrease in trust. But also to your second point, are we here to do effective work or are we we just here to work? Like what game are we playing? Because if we're here to do effective work, let's talk about how we do effective work, which means we do need a little bit of time to think. We need clear feedback. We only want two or three rounds of feedback, et cetera. So those conversations are available to us. And I just hope there's enough agency leadership out there that will create a culture or create cultures to enable that. You mentioned influencer partnerships. What are you doing? What kind of partnerships is the account doing?
1: Part of the benefit of the growth that we've had is that we also get reached out to just by different, whether it's not as much brands, but also just softwares that also help agencies. So whether it's through like media buying or being able to find freelance work outside of your nine to five, so to speak, as an employee, and our goal in that is to find companies that may not have as much awareness with, let's say, our followers and saying, okay, this actually can help. And that's something that I feel like is fun. We have also done a partnership we did with uh, anheuser Bush with Bud Light, with the out of the office campaign. Uh, that was a lot of fun, just highlighting kind of fun out-of-office emails that you would write if they were honest. You know, really just anything that we feel like could add value to our audience is where we're going to focus on. But we also inquiries for other things that if it doesn't resonate, it's like, hey, you know, we're good. Appreciate you reaching out, but it doesn't work.
0: Okay. Do you personally feel way more creative through agency probes compared to the day job? How does that calibrate? Are you really creative in the day job and also really creative with agency probs or does one really make up for the other? I'm just curious.
1: For me, the meme account is a combination of, yes, getting it out of to people and having them laugh. But it's also like, it's a fun way for someone that works in marketing. If you ask any marketer, whether they're an agency, a client, they always have creative ideas. And so to have an unfiltered way of that, I think you're seeing that with not just like meme accounts, but as people create all the creator movement that we've seen across YouTube, TikTok, people want to just create their expression of whatever that is for them and not have, you know, the constrictions or restraints of a, you know, nine to five or company. So I think you've seen that with like all these crazy influencers in terms of just their growth. And it's like anyone's can try it. And that's the great thing about what this next ten to fifteen years are gonna look like is become their own company and their own brand.
0: I genuinely get excited hearing about this kind of stuff. Final question for you. You're about to attend this meeting that someone rudely put in over our meeting. Double question one, will you take notes? And two, what weird behavior do you think is going to happen that you've already talked about in a meme?
1: I'd say no, probably not taking notes just because it's more of a uh, creative call on a design that is now on third or fourth round. So I would expect that come Monday, there may be a meme that gets posted about the 10 to 15 rounds of creative and calling it a day, because that is likely what this call is going to be. So it's now two minutes from now, which I'll let you know if that happens.
0: So that's your prediction as well, that this is going to lead to another round and another another round and another round. Very cool. I'm in the mood to make a carousel. I might have to make a carousel about what too many rounds of reviews says about your workplace. Well, a person from Agency Probs, we know where to find you. It's at Agency Probs on Instagram and TikTok. May you continue to flourish, you and your partner and whoever else is involved with this. Keep going and don't let life take it away from you because I can tell you as you hit your 30s and 40s, life just turns up and it's like, nope, I'll take that from you. You've got to keep going. you got to keep going. You've got to stand on that hill of memedom that you've created and just meme it up, baby. So thank you for what you do. I love it. May you continue to do it for decades to come.
1: Awesome, Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
0: Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sweathead. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. Subscribe to our newsletter. Find us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Sweathead. And if you're interested in finding out about our strategy memberships, company training, or books, visit sweathead.com.
1: Whoop, whoop.